Well, happy Sunday. This is PFG Live. Welcome aboard, everybody. We have a good crowd already forming on this uh, sunny day in southern New Hampshire. I know it's not sunny everywhere, but it's sunny here. Uh, let's see who's here. CJ Stevens checked in with 39 degrees and lots of sunshine in East Tennessee. Art that makes art, Wes, is 39 degrees and kind of gloomy in south central Idaho, but you're with us, which makes it possibly more gloomy. Taunus is here. Welcome aboard, sir. Carl is checking in from the People's Republic of Rhode Island with 34 degrees, sunny, and blowing like stink. Jeff Loffert says, mostly cloudy, 28 degrees in Wasilla, <laughs> Alaska. Robert Simpson is checking in with 25 degrees overcast north of Detroit on Discord in case of audio problems. You could be everywhere, sir. That would be just fine. Joel L is checking in at 72 degrees Fahrenheit, 34 degrees, 34% uh, relative humidity and sunny. And Joel is in, I can't remember where you are, Joel. You can't do this to me. New York machinist, who is obviously in New York, says 25 degrees Fahrenheit and windy in Corning, New York, where the mirrors are almost flat. AB a shop is 12 degrees science in Vincenza, Italy. Welcome aboard. Big ciao. Almost machining, 66 degrees Fahrenheit, sunny in Surprise, Arizona. Surprise, it's not that warm. Joshua is checking in, 10 degrees science in Haverhill, Suffolk, England, UK, Europe, Earth. You know, we have a Haverhill here, just, just across the, uh, the uh, river. Uh, dark and dingy, but the workshop is bright and warm. Oscar is with us at minus 10 C in... Oh, Lijendal? Us. Yeah, you're doing it to me again. Usma, Usma, Finland. Welcome, sir. Chandler, Joel's and Chandler. Of course you are. The melter of uh, of PLA. Joshua is with us. Manufacturing vice jaws this evening. Welcome. Flat lapper who laps flat says, "Hey all, forty degrees Fahrenheit, sunny, ten miles an hour." in North Illinois. Almost machining says Joel L is just down the road. We use different things, I guess. Let's see who else is here on the discord side. We have Tucker is saying 27 degrees and snowing and snowing with six inches of accumulation, blowing winds and lots of snow drifts in Buffalo, New York. Welcome. Evils is with us <laughs> with a fake METAR report. Nothing but remarks. I appreciate the fact that you you made it nothing but remarks, and there is a more appropriate format. But if we could dig out, it says that it's uh, it's comfortable in your house. Robin says it's beautiful. Welcome, Robin. Josh says minus four point one science, humidity fifty four percent, clear and sunny skies in southern Manitoba. Welcome, sir. And live from Brooklyn, New York, it's. Unix carbide, 38 Fahrenheit, but really 30 Fahrenheit, he says. <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, Warren Jones says, no current report in Sutton, New Hampshire, but it's nice and sunny with a crisp chill. Not much wind. Warren, if I threw a baseball that way, Warren could drive and pick it up. That's how close he is. So uh, who did I miss? I think I got everybody. Welcome aboard. On the Discord server, we have Unix Carbide, Carl Tauber, Robin, Josh, Almost Machining, Robert Simpson, Bill Olney, Evils, Warren Jones, and Tucker. So welcome aboard, everybody. 
What a wonderful Sunday. I'd hate to miss one. And this has been a busy week. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Lots of fun. I would like to open up. Let me get this slide up. Uh, I would want to say congratulations to um, to Evils, a, a firm supporter of the channel, who won the number 130 McMaster car catalog that we gave away. Um, was it as soon as last week? It seems like it was forever ago. But you may recall that Evils is in... Um, uh, in the EU and, uh, getting this to him in Belgium was not trivial. We did all the right things because I, you know, I ship all over the world. So it was like, Hey, we got this. And, uh, of course on his end, they gave him all sorts of grief and they thought it was a commercial shipment and it was coming from a company and therefore he had to pay all this stuff and I wrote a statement and I sent it to him and I said show us show this to the guys and uh around and around it went and evils in in uh managed to make it all happen and they finally said yeah no charge here you go <laughs> it was all set so they're pictured on your screen as the goodies that uh that uh, evils won in our drawing and uh we hope you enjoy it also uh evils let's see if I can show your your handiwork here in the chat there it is evils is designing a uh, appropriate place to store the mcmaster car catalog behind behind plexiglass and guarded by armed guards so that will be uh, fantastic congratulations um what else is going on i uh <laughs> we did our we did our sh uh, show or our segment on on clutter credits and we talked about how if you start assigning uh, clutter credits to things that are sitting around in your shop, you start to realize how much you're paying. And our standard right now with the current exchange rate, can we check the current exchange rate, please? With the current exchange rate, I believe it is $2 per square foot. You're going to have to figure that out in a metric. $2 per square foot per month uh, is one clutter credit. So... Um, I had a lot of books and I started donating books. Um, and if you have not done this, you, you need to do this. We have a place near us called, uh, used book superstore and they're online. They're called it's usedbooksuperstore.com. This is of course for our U S listeners. I'm sure elsewhere there's similar places, but these guys are awesome. You can go in and sell them books or donate books and they will, you know, use it for a good cause. Um, they will take books in and, uh, resell them. They have this particular place, which is down in Burlington, Massachusetts has 100,000 books on the shelves for sale that you can go in and browse and people, you know, bring in books and they get categorized. And anyway, uh, great place. Check out your local place. And we're, I'm filling my next box for, uh, for donations on that topic, uh, good friend, uh, for many, many years, my friend, Mike Murphy was over here. Um, I was helping him out. He needed, he was building a heat sink. He needed some copper. So I said, come on over. I have a piece of copper. We, we sliced a piece of copper, but then we started talking about other stuff. I gave him a couple of great books, um, that he's interested in and some other stuff 
right? So he was all excited and happy and I earned clutter credits and I was very happy about it. So the clutter credits are, uh, have been very successful and I want to hear your stories about earning your clutter credits. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good feeling to know that the stuff is out and it's doing, doing somebody else some good. And we get to fill the remaining space with tools. Of course. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, I, I had put out a question on Instagram. I posted a picture of a not insignificant chunk of steel (laughs) and I challenged everybody to guess the alloy, right? And, uh, we got many guesses and it was pretty funny what some of the responses we got, but, uh, it it was uh, correctly guessed. And frankly, I'm having trouble remembering who the, who the winner was (laughs) novice artisan. Welcome aboard. Novice artisan says unobtainium. Well, incorrect. It's not unobtainium because you can get it through the McMaster car catalog. Therefore it is obtainium. So I got my, uh, my catalog out. I ordered my steel. It came in and, and it was correctly guessed by one person who I congratulated Instagram and forgive me if somebody, if somebody can go to the Instagram post on your phone and tell me who, who was it that, uh, that got it. The correct answer was, well, let me show it to you. You guys listening on the audio podcast, you don't know what you're missing. Well, you probably do know what you're missing, but, uh, here it is. Ah, 52, 100 was the correct answer. And, uh, this is a three inch diameter, 12 inch long chunk of 52, 100, which, you know, not everybody can get their hands on this unless of course you place a McMaster car catalog order and you pay $294, but then there it is. So (laughs) the question is, what are we doing with this? Uh, I don't know. This has to be 40 pounds of uh, 52,100. It's got a lot of gravity. So my goal, uh, Ethan said, oh yeah, Ethan, that's right. Ethan Perrin, Ethan Perrin 97 was the correct guesser. Exactly. What the heck is 52,100? Aren't you glad you asked? (laughs) Uh, CJ Stevens says for the podcast people, it is glowing, and I can see his bones through the light. <laughs> that is correct. So, fifty-two one hundred is best known as the metal that um, oh, Robin. Robin's on it. I'm busy making jokes, and Robin is getting the facts out. Robin says ball bearings and gauge blocks. Exactly right. So for me, it's, it's the gauge blocks part that was interesting. Uh, and it's a very old steel. And one of the things, one of the reasons it's used for gauge blocks is it's excellent characteristics as far as wear, uh, and hardenability and stability. And also, uh, that's what makes it great for bearings. And I'm sure Robin can tell us more about it, but, um, because it's an old steel, they keep the recipe the same. <laughs> Wes says you need to turn a giant ball. No, I don't. 
the funny thing was when I went to the, the McMaster car catalog and I looked up 5200, of course, one of the uh, 50 to 100, one of the things that came up was balls. And on the same page, because I put in a diameter of three inches there, I could buy a three inch ball ball of 5,200, a bearing ball from McMaster car. And it wasn't terribly priced. So if you feel a need to have a widget, a, a, a fidget toy on your desk, which is a three inch or even a four inch, I think they had a four inch a bearing ball of 52100 just open up your McMaster car catalog and there it is so that's that's what so you might wonder why so um i was approached uh <laughs> am i making a cannon uh or is are those cannon balls you could use them we don't judge you could use the balls however you see fit uh flatlapper says we're going to be talking, sir. Correct lapping segments for speed fam machines is 52100 type 2 Peterson grade. Well, now we're going deep. So I, I don't even know what Peterson grade is, but now you've given me homework. Um, and Evils correctly points out it's also a popular, easy wear resistant knife steel. So in Laren uh, Thomas's book, that's the knife steel nerd, uh, hashtag not sponsored, but awesome website, awesome dude. Uh, I actually pulled up information on 52100 because I need to know how to heat treat it. Knife makers have discovered 52100 and it has characteristics. Uh, believe me, the knife guys are into uh, dozens of different kinds of steels. Flat Lapper says 58 to 60 Rockwell hardness. I guess that's Peterson grade. That so what I'm aiming to do is is basically achieve uh, gauge blockedness. Uh, I want to um, I want to finish a hockey puck to gauge block quality, and I welcome any help in doing that. Uh, somebody pinged me. Uh, that said, Hey, can you do that? And I'm like, I think I could do that. We've gotten very, very close to that. Uh, New York machinist said, I've made a lot of 52, 180 CRV two Damascus steel. Excellent. Well, I want to, I want to hear more about, uh, getting gauge block surface quality on a 52, 100. So that's my goal. Uh, I, in order to, to play around with that, I'm going to cut a couple of salami slices, uh, from that rod and I'm going to heat treat them. And that heat treating is actually going to be kind of fun. I have the recipe. It's not crazy difficult and, uh, we'll heat treat them. We'll grind them and then we're going to lap them and see where we go. The thing that I'm ignorant about right now is the final lapping to get to that, you know, ridiculous finish. Um, if I only knew a flat lapper who can help me out. Oh, wait, flat lapper says composite copper lapping plates and diamond. Excellent. Like I said, we're going to talk. Um, I have cast iron lapping plates and diamond. Is that okay? Can, can I do that? Because, uh, with eight micron diamond, I was getting extraordinarily good results 
and actually achieved ringing. Um, but I don't consider what I did gauge block quality. So I, I'm figuring I could set up my next set of, um, of laps using one of the finer diamond slurries, which I have, I think I have eight, uh, let's see if I remember eight, three, eight, three, one and a quarter and a 0.25. Not exactly sure. This is going to have a ring surface with a relieved center question mark. Nope, it is not. Carl Tauber asks, what is composite copper? That's a really good question. So, uh, flat lapper did say composite copper lapping plates. So what does that mean? Inquiring minds want to know, but this is one of the, so because I've gotten very close to where I want to land, getting that last mile is going to be very interesting. High Prez lapping plates, Engis Corporation. Yeah. High Prez is the manufacturer of the diamond slurry that I bought. And, and Robin, um, admonished me that the liquid that's part of the diamond slurry is, is very well engineered. So we shouldn't like take it for granted that they've done a lot of homework to get all that stuff right. Uh, novice artisan says use five micron or below diamond pastes on a zinc lap question mark. One plate per compound, question mark. My understanding is that once you have a lapping plate uh, and you're using it with a diamond compound, that you are stuck at that size diamond because it is going to embed, which is what you want. But on the other hand, you can't go to a finer diamond. So you're either going to surface grind that plate to get everything off and then start over, or you just set up another set of plates, which is what I'm doing. E yes, the carrier is liquid. Yep, we're on the same page of music. Um, there's a lot of history with uh, uh, Johansson making the first gauge blocks and using a sewing machine. So one of the things I want to do is go back and read about that history. But of course, um, I have a sewing machine. If I have to use a sewing machine, I will. <laughs> I'm sure it was because it was a very smooth um, uh smooth motor, had a reciprocating action that was useful, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to read up on that history and then I'm going to look for some help on, um, on getting that to work. And this was all triggered by somebody who made a request for a thing. Uh, and more on that. If it, if it becomes successful, I will report. Uh, let's see. So that's interesting. Um, if you are uh, an expert in making uh, gauge blocks, uh, please join us in the in the Discord server. Oh, so last week, not only did I have a, uh, a wonderful house guest here in the form of one Unix carbide, but we got a, a, a ton done in grinding in his uh, his cast uh, straight edge and cast angle. And that was the topic that we talked about last week. I want to show you a picture here. Uh, let's see. Uh, when we switched the grinder over, I just took this picture like literally 15 minutes ago. When we switched the grinder over to do the 
cast iron. It was <laughs> it was pretty evident as the filter paper came out of the uh, the filter uh, band um, this morning where we stopped making stones and where we started grinding cast iron. So if you're on the, if you're on the audio podcast, just imagine a, a band of filter paper going from this kind of orangey, orangey brownie color to this black, dark gray grunge color. That was when we went to the, uh, to the cast iron. So almost machining says, Come up with an automatic method. You're talking faster than I could think in my flu state. Listen, dude, we don't have to solve this now. I just want to install the subprogram in all your processors. That's all. <laughs> um, yeah, almost a sheeted thermite. I don't, I don't think that's actually a sheeted thermite, but if it is, I'm going to run downstairs real quick with a fire extinguisher. Um, so. In the discussion last week about uh, Unix Carbide's uh, cast goodies that we showed, we talked a little bit about the um, the company that made the castings. Uh, the castings, as we learned from um, from grinding them, were really quite nice, and they were marked uh, Lamb and Sons. I'm looking for the picture. Uh, from the UK, from England. And let's see, going back in history here on the slides. Isn't this, uh, there we go. Here's a picture. And one of the things I, I mentioned was that, uh, first of all, I want to say that there were two items, a straight edge and this really nice angle. And the straight edge was not made by lamb. It was made by another another company. Well, uh, Clive, the proprietor, uh, connected with me. Oh, thank you very much, Robin. Uh, Clive uh, connected with me, and he said that straight edge wasn't mine. I'm like, okay, we figured that out on the on the podcast. But I also told him how lovely I thought this uh, this came out, and then he essentially looked at the grinding we did. And started laughing. He said, you know, that angle on the back is a handle. He says that that's not supposed to be a precision surface. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's precision now and it looks really good. So, uh, all the, all those surfaces did get, get ground and, uh, and the angle was, uh, you know, a random angle, but it came out really nice. So a uh, beautiful job and, and you could follow him on the Instagram. I'm going to ask, uh, maybe somebody can, can, uh, well, let's see. I've been following him and he's been posting pro prodigiously, but he, he is on Instagram posting pictures of his castings, uh, getting post-processed and they're absolutely beautiful. So that's a little plug for him. Uh, I'll get you that information a little later. I wasn't prepared with it to follow him on Instagram. But the company is Lamb and Son, England. Uh, so that came out really good. And uh, Unix Carbide will no doubt uh, regale us with some updates on what he does with those, those instruments. Uh, let's see. Um, 
How did you send them, Robin? Did you send them on uh, what channel? We have so many channels. Thank you for sending those, but I, I knew you'd have some some resources. So we'll have some fun uh, with the 52100. We'll do some heat treating. We'll do some lapping and see how far we can go uh, because we should never leave good enough alone. Uh, what else is cooking? Um, oh, here we go. So Black Sheep Cross Member. That is the name of the Instagram account uh, for Clive. Black Sheep Cross Member. All one word on Instagram. Thank you for linking that. And uh, Tuck also linked it at the same time. Awesome. You guys are terrific. So, um, when, uh, <laughs> when Unix carbide was here and we, we ground his tools, uh, we switched over to the five SG wheel on the grinder t for all that work. And it, that I'll tell you what, that wheel can do anything. Um, so I started working on everything. That's, that's where all these other tool restorations suddenly came from. Uh, and I discovered that my large five SG wheel, basically my brand new one, which I prepped for, for grinding because I literally used one up, um, might've been a little loose on its hub because as I removed it, thankfully it was when I removed it, I felt it maybe move. So I wanted to share with you a little change in my procedure on the grinder that I think I'm going to be doing every time now. So that is when I go to change wheels and I pull a, I pull a previous, the previously mounted wheel out of the drawer, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tighten the hub before I do anything else. So if, if the wheel was already, if the hub was already tight, then I'm not, nothing's going to change. But if the, if the hub was loose, then I'm going to feel it. It's going to, I'm going to tighten it up and then I'm going to be, I'm going to be truing, you know, balancing and truing anyway. Um, but I felt that that was a part of the process that needed a little attention because as soon as that hub gets loose so that wheel can move with respect to the hub, you've lost balance and you you've lost true. Uh, so that was a little bothersome. It did not hurt anything because it was, it was, it was in the taking the wheel off direction that I noticed it. So once again, my, my standard procedure for changing wheels is going to be, you know, take wheel off, grab the new wheel from the drawer and, and check tightness first and then go to mount it up. Now, the other thing I wanted to, that's very closely related to it is what process you go through when you take a brand new wheel out of the wrapper. In my case, it's from Norton, these five SG wheels, and you pick up a hub and you go to mount it up. Um, what I do is, well, of course, first thing you do is you tighten it. You put it on the you put it on the hub. You make sure the blotter papers are there. The blotter papers are not optional; they have to be there, uh, and they protect the hub's 
hardened steel from the stone you know being pushed into it it's basically two immovable objects so the the blotter paper pr- pr- provides a little cushion for that to happen a little more gracefully and then i tighten it up well i think i think i got this from robin but you have to tighten that hub way tighter than you think <laughs> and so i i take uh, one of my tools goes into the bench vise with the two uh, it's a spanner tool with the uh, points of the spanner pointing up and then the wheel goes on that and then the other one which has which i use the points of the spanner at 90 degrees i put on there and i wonk on it until i think it's way too much then it's just about right one of these days i'll come up with a uh, with a torque wrench and a torque spec do oh yes of course greenwood i ring test you're absolutely right before we do anything with the wheel we do a ring test which means uh, we hang we could hang it on a screwdriver take the back of another screwdriver and ding it okay and then if we do that correctly we should hear it ring like a bell if you will recall from a previous discussion on this very podcast we talked about resonance the wheel should resonate it should ring like a bell if it goes kathump and it does not ring it might be cracked and you should use extreme caution and maybe just toss it. Um, of course, at the price of some of these wheels, especially the five SG wheels, yeah, throwing it out is kind of like a little, a uh, little hard to to deal with. But you ring the wheel. I've never, I've never had one not ring, but it's a safety step. You ring the wheel. You put it on the hub. You tighten the nut to where you think it's way too tight, and that's perfect. And now you're going to mount it on the machine. No, you're not. You're going to balance it. So you grab your B200 balancing ring. What's a B200 balancing ring? Go to BAL.GG and learn about the B200 balancing ring. You put your B200 balancing ring on there. Um, uh, Yes, Robin, I hear you on the subliminal channel. I hear you. And you go over to your balancing stand and you balance it up. Now, this is a raw wheel right out of the, 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 the manufacturer's packaging. You will be balancing it again. You're not done. Then it goes over to the machine and you, you uh, true it up. You true the, the major surface and you true the sides. I'm not going into detail today. I'm just going through the steps. Um, now, it comes back off the machine, goes back to the balancing stand, and now you balance it. Because what happens is, if you think this through, if you have an off-center wheel and you balance it, okay, now it runs on the machine pretty true. You true it, it's now going to be unbalanced again. One could make the argument that you didn't need the first balancing, but it doesn't take very long and it reduces some dynamic input into the system. So when it goes back... Uh, you know, you, you rebalance it, goes back on the machine. You now do one more true, usually just the bottom, and now you're ready to work. You're good to go. So that process, it takes a little while for a brand new wheel, and you don't want to have to do that all over again if you don't have to. So if you leave it on the hub, you you do not have to change again. But if you didn't tighten the hub enough, 
And then the next time you go to mount the wheel, it moves. You, you're, you basically treat it as if you just mounted the wheel. That's the message. And shame on me for not having tightened the hub previously enough. So then I thought about it and I said, gee, I wonder if something is relaxing, which caused it to not be tight anymore. So then that's how I came up with the add the added step to the process of, well, every time you take it out of the drawer, just tighten it. If it was tight, it's not going to move. If it, if it needed a little tightening, it's probably not going to shift, but it will tighten up. And I said, probably, but it's probably good enough. And when you put it back on the machine and true it, you'll be good to go. And if you balance it before you true it, or uh, it, you'll be even better. So this is not, I'm not giving you a precise um, uh, process description except to say checking for tightness after it's mounted and after you've used it and, and when you're going to put it back on the machine is very important. Please, people, tighten your hub. <laughs> There's your message. Um, so my buddy, I mentioned my buddy Mike who came over and I wanted to, you know, he, he, he messages me, we're on a text message and he says, Hey, I need a piece of copper for a heat sink for this radio that I'm designing. I'm like, cool. What do you need? And, and we go back and forth and I, my inclination is to say, well, get, do you have a sketch? Can you sketch it for me? Can you give me a, basically we're saying, give me a drawing. And it is the job of a machinist to take a drawing and make a part to to meet, to meet the requirements of that drawing. But it's the job of the engineer to make the drawing for the machinist. But what happens if you have somebody who doesn't know how to make a drawing? And that's basically everybody. And this happens a lot. Somebody will say, hey, I need a widget. And of course, we want to help people, especially if they're friends and family. Hey, I need a bracket. <laughs> that's the... How many times have you heard that? I just, I need a little bracket. So we have to do things that allow us to help the people that don't know how to make a sketch, which is almost everybody does not know how to make a sketch. One of the ways we can do that, the easiest way to do that is to say, hey, bring it over, whatever the thing is. Now, sometimes you can't bring it over. If you're somebody like Warren Jones, yes, I'm picking on you, Warren. <laughs> if you're somebody like Warren Jones who works on, these huge machines, right? The, yes, I'm looking at you. Uh, they're not going to bring over the, the huge machine to point at something, say, make one of these. Frequently, you have to go there or they have to, you know, you, you need to go find out what they need uh, by putting eyeballs on the thing because most people have no concept of how to make a, a sketch, let alone a full-blown dimension drawing. So getting the thing in front of you so that you can figure out what they need is, is, is number one. Number two is teach them about cardboard-aided design. Some, some applications you can tell them, hey, do you have a piece of cardboard? Yeah. Can you cut and fold and tape the cardboard to make the thing you want to make? And some people go, oh, yeah, I could do that. And now they will execute cardboard-aided design, maybe not to three decimal places, but 
enough that they say, this is what I want. And now you've, you've had a three dimensional transfer of knowledge, which is the hardest thing. And you can start there. So cardboard aided design, very powerful. And you can teach somebody how to do that. Um, you know, we've done this, uh, my, my kiddo, Sam needed a, uh, a, um, laptop and, and tablet rack. So we, we now Sam's an artist, so it's not too hard, uh, for Sam to make a sketch, which is what happened. And then they gave me a sketch and I 3d modeled it in fusion and showed it to them and. And Sam says, yeah, that's what I want. It's like, okay, great. We made the connection. But then it is really absolutely true that there are people that don't think in 3D. They can't, they can't do it. And that's the hardest, that's the hardest thing to do is to, is to transfer that knowledge. So if you can put yourself in front of the thing and maybe do reverse cardboard aided design where you look at the thing and then you make it out of cardboard and you say, is this what you want? And they go, yeah. You say, okay. And now you can go away and make it. Cause we all want to help people, but I'll tell you what, you don't want to spend an hour and a half making a thing in the shop and then you deliver it and they go, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Does that ever happen? That happens. So, uh, anyway, we took care of Mike. It ended up that he he just needed a piece of copper, so he came over. We I gave him a piece of copper and a bunch of other stuff, and I sent him home, and it was all fine. Um, but I recommend teaching cardboard aided design, and with everybody getting their stuff from Amazon, uh, I think everybody has enough cardboard <laughs> as long as they uh, uh, use it properly. Uh, let's see. So that was, that's, that's the story about, uh, helping non-machinists. It's really, it's really hard to ask for a sketch. Um, oh, Hey, thank you for link. Robin just posted a link in the chat, uh, about first attempt at mirror finish while I was working on these gauges. Okay. Yeah. We're going to talk buddy. And I'll tell you more of the story once we're on a, on the, the back channel but that's looking great. So Robin just posted an Insta uh, a link to his Instagram post. What was the approximate date of that post so that people can go uh, go look for it that aren't aren't on here. And Evils Evils has taken to become our uh, archivist of all good things. So I'm sure Evils will have that thing cataloged uh, in no time. <laughs> AB shop says 3d is only the area times the length it's square meters times meters equals cubic meters equal volume. If people understand this 3d would be very easy to understand and use it. Yeah. Very easy for us, but sometimes it's not so easy for other people. I, I, oh, so here's an example. I had a really wonderful, uh, person come and help us in our garden. And they did this magnificent technique of, oh, there it is. So the Robin's post was on March 29th of 2021. If you want to look up the post on Robin's recipe for gauge block osity, which I will be quizzing you on incessantly, Robin. Um, 
So this very nice person comes over, does some work in our garden, and had this really super cool technique, which I, I don't know enough to teach, but I could describe it, of digging down uh, in the garden and laying cardboard down and then covering it back up uh, with the topsoil to a certain, there's a certain, you know, schedule and thickness and whatever. And it, it prevents weed growth, but allows you to plant your plants. It was really cool. And it was a great use of a great recycling of <laughs> Amazon boxes. And uh, it worked out fantastically well. <laughs> Robin just posted another uh, copy of the post showing his, uh, his, uh, interference lines on on his stuff and of course they they look like they were they were ruled by a machine that's gorgeous but i digress you see what you're missing if you're only on audio anyway i said to this very nice person who is laying the cardboard in in subsurface in our in our garden um she said how i need some more cardboard to finish up this section i said how much do you need? Simple question, right? Could not come up with a with a way to transmit to me how much more cardboard she needed. This was not a failing. This was not somebody who is not smart. This is a brain working completely differently. And it was it, it was probably the most stark example of that I've ever seen. What I was expecting was, oh, it's about nine feet by twelve feet worth of cardboard or maybe more advanced was, you know, I need 90 square feet or something, but absolutely unable to attach a number to the, to, to this concept of what they were trying to transmit to me. So I said, Hey, let's go out to the garden. Show me what you need. And they pointed, Oh, it's got to cover this to this. So I said, Oh, about, you know, nine by 12. You know, and okay, yeah, great. And I was able to go wrestle up the cardboard and deliver it. But there are people out there that do not have what you have in your brain with respect to 3D model, you know, modeling and numbers and measurements and precision, let alone metric versus, you know, freedom units. Uh, just just know that you, you can help some people a lot just by not demanding that of them and just going and putting eyeballs on the pro on the uh, on the process drip mulching there you go and and robert simpson says it's called strip mulching and it's also great done with newspaper excellent uh, i can confirm that it, cardboard works works well and it um yeah it worked great <laughs> the little garden that is that this was done to uh, came out fantastic, but square feet, how much, you know, quantification wasn't happening. It was a good lesson for me. Um, okay. So if you've been following me on Instagram, uh, you will know that I've been working on some old tools and I kind of like doing this. I've done this a lot. Uh, restoring some old tools, grinding in some old tools, uh, such that, um, I was able to continue using them. In fact, if you have bought, uh, PFG stones, uh, ever, 
your PFG stones were, were in part done with uh, the, one of the tools I use is, is a, an old machinist's vice, which I completely rebuilt and modified. I've talked about this particular tool before because it also needed heat treating help. Uh, it, it had evidence that it was heat treated, but not tempered. So it was tempered, it was cryoed, it was reground, and it was a lot of fun. And I ended up with a fantastic tool that I keep using. So I'm sort of hooked on taking a tool that's kind of not in great shape and making it better and then using the hell out of it. One of the examples is I bought a, um, um, a suburban tool, six inch squaring vice, uh, magnetic squaring vice on, I think I bought it on eBay. I can't quite remember. And it was, you know, it was a little chewy, um, and it needed to be, uh, made better. And I was able to restore it. Now, recently, if you haven't, if you don't follow Clow 42, he's a good guy, James Clow. Uh, and he also just recently started, you know, grinding and he, he also got a six inch suburban tool squaring block and he also had to re regrind it. But the interesting thing is, and this is a bit of a side sidetrack. The interesting thing is he found the exact problem I found on the one I bought, which is the bottom was bowing. It was bowing out. And it, and if you put it, for example, on a, on a surface plate, it would spin like a top. Well, the one he got also spun like a top. And when you look at the design, it was like, okay, they completely under supported the bottom of the squaring plate. It's a, I forget what it is. It's a three eighths inch steel plate on the bottom. And it's just not enough. It's just not stiff enough. So it was interesting that we both had the exact same experience. Um, that was another example. Uh, I just, I don't know if I'd say finished, but I just worked on a set of three shars, the little uh, grinding vices. Uh, I guess they're called two-inch vices because of the width. They're like two inches wide. Um and I just ground them in so that all the beds are coplanar. So I ground the bottom, I ground the beds, I ground the surface of the jaw that slides on the bed. And they're all gorgeous now and they're all matched. And I don't have to think about whether, you know, I'm putting it on vice number one, vice number two, or vice number three. They're all matched. So, but along comes, <laughs> along comes um, Hermit Shed one of our, uh, our, our group. And, uh, he put up on the discord server. We have a, we have a, like a for sale forum that, that everybody could use. And he put up a couple of tools, one of which was a flat, um, sign plate. And I said, I'm interested in that. Oh, I have it right here. Hang on. So if you've, if you've seen pictures of this, this thing incessantly on Instagram, uh, this is, this is the animal. Uh, it is a sign plate, but it's a flat, uh, it's a kind of wide flat sign. plate. It's about four inches wide and about, um, six inches long. And it has a pair of rolls, five inches apart, the standard five inches apart. Um, and I've been working on restoring this guy and, uh, let me, if you've been following on Instagram and on YouTube, so I've been making these little videos called quick chips, um, you know, two to five minutes long max, uh, 
of as I'm as I'm doing little chunks of project. So on this project, uh, I decided the very first thing besides inspection, which I've done here, uh, I would work on the rolls. So uh, let me just take these out of order. The inspection of this guy was very interesting because let's see if I can get it to reflect here for the video. Come on, you can do it. There it is. There's a name engraved here, and I think it says Charles. Let's see. I think it's Charles Williams or something like that. I'm, I will in, uh, enhance it, but that was the signature of the maker. Um, other things I discovered, of course, were the uh, grinding marks um, on the bottom that were pretty uh, evident once it was stoned with PFG stones. Um, the top was not bad, but it was corroded. So this is all going to get ground. And then I found one other very interesting thing. Let's see if I can show you this. I'm going to put my finger on the defect. Where is it? There it is. Okay. I found out that one of these holes, which is really just a lightning hole, was sleeved because it broke through. Oh, you can see it. There it is. It broke through to the adjacent hole. Okay. And in breaking through the adjacent hole, it got ugly. Uh, so he sleeved it. So this isn't exactly the Mona Lisa, okay? But it'll it'll restore and become quite useful. So that's the main base. But the the thing that I was showing most recently on YouTube with the here are the rolls. So the rolls are hardened steel, and they're actually hardened steel tubes. Um, and they have two threaded holes. It, it turns out to be ten twenty four, and I turned up a couple of uh, these plugs. So I could plug the holes on the end so I can make myself center holes. So that's what I did here. There's a good shot for you video guys. We take the plugs, we put it in the end of the, the hardened steel tube with a drop of CA glue. And then we put it back in the lathe and we pop in a center hole. And we did that on both sides. However, <laughs> I realized, oh, genius now there's no way to drive this thing uh on the harrig electric centers uh so i added a piece of brass shim stock as a drive lever and i used ca glue and a clearance hole to do that and then of course i went in with the center drill and and just cleaned it up so these guys are ready to go on the grinder with the harrig uh, electric centers uh, to get rotary ground and restored into their glory. So these will be the first parts that hit the grinder and then they will be set aside and I will work on the base of that thing. But I really enjoy doing this and it, it takes, you know, somebody's, it might, it might've been apprentice work. It might've been student work. It might've been just a shop made tool, but I like restoring it and I like putting it back to work and knowing that it's, it's like solid. Another, uh, another one that I, I did, and I showed this in the, um, I showed this in the, in the thumbnail for this very video. Let's see if I could bring up the, the full-sized picture. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Robin had talked about this, uh, 
uh, V-block, this magnetic V-block that he's he's been using, and he did some modifications to it. So I found one that was not hardened. Robbins w- was using a hardened one, but it was the price was right, and it was quote new close quote. And I've shown this on both YouTube and Instagram. Uh, this is finished. This came out quite nicely and I'm very happy with it. And, and this is another example of a tool that we'll be using a lot. And now I can trust it because I, I was the last one to, to put the surfaces on it. Um, this has been, this has been uh, rather satisfying. I've got another couple of tools. I got another signed bar. It's not a plate. It's a signed bar that's awaiting, um, the same treatment. Uh, but that'll, and that'll come later. But I'll keep making these little short uh, videos as I work. Apparently, people like them. I, I, I'm getting a lot of very positive feedback on these, you know, five-minute uh, videos from the shop as I make progress. So if you like that sort of thing, let me know. Uh, we'll uh, we'll continue doing that. Um, let's see. Do you have tools that you guys have restored? and are using and uh, you, have, you have a story about I am not nostalgic I'm not interested in um, I say I'm not nostalgic but I just showed you the the maker's signature on this tool that's kind of nostalgia but I, I like putting them back to use and I think that the original uh, makers would appreciate the fact that they're put they're put to use and they're actually doing good work um, some of them may be passed away. Some of them may be, you know, they were students and they moved on to things that aren't machining and they would think it's pretty cool that their, their tools getting used. Um, <laughs> you guys are having an excellent conversation in the chat and I like that. So that's the story. Uh, this week in the shop has been kind of very therapeutic for me, uh, helping out. Uh, Unix was great, and, and now I have to get stones out. So this is this is kind of what happens. You you get these spikes of interest in weird size stones. For example, the eight inch stones, which don't move very fast at all. Uh, and this week I got two orders at the same time for eight inch stones, and guess what? I was out of eight inch stones. So I have eight inch stones running today, and I will be finishing them. Uh, they should ship Monday. Unix Carbide says, I'm not one to plug for big precision, but PFG stones have enabled me to make some great used precision tools sing again. Well, thank you, Unix Carbide. Uh, I'm, I am uh, glad that you like my stones. Pregnant pause. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I will point out that that the stones uh, the, definitely give us information that we could not get any other way. I mean, I'm fascinated by the pattern on the bottom of this uh, sign plate, which to me does not come across as uh, wheel imbalance because all the lines across the whole thing are in line. It comes across as rack and pinion noise in the grinder. Tell me if you agree. Almost Machining says, did that come off my grinder? <laughs> I don't think so. But if you've seen these marks, this is like a wanted poster. If you've seen these marks, 
contact the authorities. Um, I believe that's a rack and pinion. So what that means is, is that the table on the grinder has a rack and is driven by a gear, which is attached to the, the, the hand wheel. And when a gear turns, there is a, there is a force vector that pushes up a little bit on the table. And if all of them line up across the whole work, it's probably that, um, there are some mis there are still some mysteries in these markings, but that one, I think we understand. Um, okay. So AB, AB shop has a good question. Oh yeah. CJ Stevens says, <laughs> hit that like, and subscribe before you leave. Yes. Thank you. CJ Stevens. He, my best, my best public relations coordinator is CJ Stevens. Um, AB shop says, when can you say I removed 0.01 millimeters when I no longer see sparks? Question mark. I don't have a surface grinder for the moment. I only, this always inspires me because I think it's not like a lathe or a milling machine. Um, well, <laughs> when you grind a surface and, uh, you, you've taken off some amount and then you come back across the surface and you're still making sparks, you could be talking about millionths of an inch. So you reading the sparks is actually very useful in telling you what's going on. Because if you think about the grits in the wheel as they come around to hit the work, it's only probability that says all of the grits are going to hit all of the you know, parts of the work. So there's always going to be one little grit on the wheel that that's a little higher than the last little grit that hit that spot and it's going to make a spark. So there's a term in grinding called sparking out, which is where you continue to grind a, a, across the surface without moving your wheel down and you observe that the sparks reduce or stop. Now I'll tell you a little, a dirty little secret. Um, well, Jeff Lawford says the Lovejoy coupler between the motor and the spindle of my Harrig was bad and the grind looked just like that pattern replaced it and it went away. Very interesting. So it could be the Lovejoy coupler. Well, okay. I'll get back to that in a second. Let me finish this thought. Um, and Robin brought this up a couple of weeks ago. I don't even remember what the conversation was that, uh, sparking out is, is great. But if you, even lack of thermal control can, can cause issues and make sparking out not terribly useful. But if you go across a surface and you finish your grinding and then you do a spark out pass and you have, you know, you have some sparks, but it's, it's a lot less than before. That's good. And then you do another spark out pass and you have lots less sparks, but they're still there. That's where this gets interesting. If you have like very few sparks, but they come from everywhere on the work. That's good. That means it's as flat asterisk. It's as flat as you can make it. And it's an indicator. Here's another possibility. You grind the surface and then you come back for the spark out pass. Okay. And it grinds on the, on the edges, but not in the middle. You, you get spark, no spark, spark on your spark out pass. What does that tell you? It tells you that you overheated 
in the, the work in the center, the work thermally grew, you ground it off and then it cooled down and it went down. Now it, it's a hollow. So the sparks are really useful tools. And just because you have little tiny sparks coming off the work doesn't mean it's wrong and that you have to have to keep on grinding. It's a super good indicator of what that surface looks like. Um, yeah, AB shop. I think, I think you're, I think we're in agreement. Flat lapper says we quote spark out close quote in lapping too. no sparks. Just let the abrasive break down now more fresh supply. So similar in nature. Yes. Excellent. Uh, Jeff says the imperfections couldn't be felt or measured with a tenths indicator, but as soon as you stoned it, they stuck out like a sore thumb. Yes, yes, yes. These <laughs> Jeff is referring to marks like this. If we put this, if we put a tenths indicator across those marks on this restoration project that we clearly see it's right in front of our face, we will not measure it. They're teeny. Now you can make the argument that if, if you can't measure it, what value does it have? Um, I think we're, I think we're in violent agreement. Yeah. So, uh, Oh, Robin wants to talk. I see. I knew, <laughs> I knew I can get you to, uh, let's see. Okay. We'll put Robin on here. Robin wants to contribute to the, uh, let's see, you're not, are you going to use video? I don't think you use video. Hello, Robin. You're on the air. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, we can. No video. Okay. You. Um, th this is something I'm intimately, um, aware of because a lot of the spindles that I make, uh, most of the spindle nose diameters, uh, the tolerance is one micron on the finished nose that gets ground on its own bearings. And, uh, one very useful tool because you can very easily be thinking that your, your, your passes that you're taking are actually doing something uh, when in fact they're not. So um, on my Harrig, I can downfeed in like 5 millionth increments, 10 millionth increments, whatever, 15 millionth increments very consistently. Yep. And um, which you obviously need when you're trying to hit a, a one micron uh, total you know, span on the size. But you'll find that the uh, by taking a purple sharpie and uh, alcoholing off the part, uh, putting pur purple sharpie on the whole thing, come back in again, and you can see whether or not you're actually grinding, and you can even see faint where you're like just removing half the sharpie. You can see all kinds of things. That's a very powerful tool is using sharpie in between. Even if you just use a sharpie. You come out and go back in, don't down feed, don't do anything, use the Sharpie. Most of, of my problems are firing up the grinder. It's only been running for an hour or two. And um, at those tolerances, it's still growing away from the part. So yep. you, you can take a 20 millionth pass and come back. It doesn't even touch the Sharpie. <laughs> take, <laughs> take another 20 millionth pass, come back, and, and then you find, okay, so I'm finally touching down. Um, Another thing, phenomenon relative to the part dishing uh, or, or crowning, like you're talking about, which is, you know, very common. Yep. It warms up, it grows because it's, you know, it has to, it has to grow up because you're heating the upper surface and it's expanding. But that applies to grinding round things also. 
So if you're grinding a round part and it's tick, tick, tick on one side, if you're really trying to nail things, it takes quite a while, and I'm assuming you're using coolant, it takes quite a while before the shape, the bow induced by that one side grinding and the other not, to come out. So you have to be very careful to, anytime you don't have a full circle grind, you have to be really gentle until everything rounds up and your cuts are of a uniform depth. Uh, otherwise, you can end up with banana-shaped parts not even realizing it. And and when that happens and you get that tick, 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 you're also, you have, I think this is what you're saying, you, you have asymmetrical grinding, but you also have asymmetrical thermals at that point. Yes, exactly. You're, right. you, as the parts you're doing, those rollers for the sign plate, uh, they they probably will be pretty close, but they're they're going to cut somewhere on one side more than the other initially, yep. even if it's only talking tents. And right. that warmth on that side will do exactly the same thing to that round part as far as its straightness. And if yep. you just keep going, you know, rapidly, you know, in a rush, go through there, you can end up with a part that cools off and is actually bowed from that. Gotcha. Well, we'll keep an eye on that and and, and try to try to watch for it. Of course, on the, on this particular thing, it I don't think a micron's going to. Well, I I shouldn't say you're going to lap them anyhow, right? When you're done. Okay. I'm going to lap them. Then I'm going to send them to the NIST for evaluation. We're going to do that's a perfect lapping candidate there for just a cylindrical external lap. And the last time you said you're going to lap that, aren't you? I was shamed into like making a lap and lapping it. So I guess, I guess it just happened again, didn't it? Yeah. That's the easiest of all lapping. External cylindrical lapping is the easiest, the easiest of all. So, Okay. Well, good idea. And thank, thank you for the input. I mean, this is a fun project and, uh, it'll be, it will be a useful tool, uh, for sure. Uh, evil says, but he'll have to match the two cylinders to each other. Yeah. We didn't say this would be easy evils. We, we're, yeah. Not only all the are we going to use lapping. Say that again. All, all the more reason to use lapping. Because controlling, uh, you can amazingly control cylindricity just from the lag, the, the lap torque. You can tell where it's actually fat and light, and yep. you can you can tell what's going on from that, and you can get extremely without even measuring. You can get extremely close cylindricity and size just from the drag torque feel on both of them. So so far, we have to feel the torque with our fingies, and we have to have a nineteen cent sharpie. And we're good to a micron. Yeah. That's what. Purple, that's what you're saying. Uh, yeah, literally, purple sharpie is is the sharpie. I'm not using purple just out. Of, don't use black. Black seriously does not work as well. Purple purple sharpie ink is a different animal than the others. It's almost like liquid dicum. Yep. And I'm not the one who. Uh, I think I'm trying to think of the guy who uh, made us all aware of this. Um, Turnright machine. Oh. Um, yeah, he, he's uh, the he's the one who made us he calls them, purple being the. Yeah, he calls it sharpum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So purple, yeah. it really is magical, and um, because you can go over, it will re-wet, dried, already dried, and 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 go over it without just clumping up and being a mess. So purple, purple's the magic sharpie for that stuff. I'm just checking. I'm just checking uh, purple futures, uh, purple sharpie futures. On, <laughs> with the, they're spiking. They're spiking. Uh, <laughs> Did, you didn't have you didn't invest in purple sharpie options, did you? Is that <laughs> is that what this is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I did notice that that I use a lot of black sharpie, and it is it's pretty thick. 
Um, it's a diff- it, it definitely is a different animal. But that's <laughs> purple. I, I'm going out to get purple Sharpie this afternoon. Robin, thanks for checking in. You got anything else? Yep. Nope. Okay, I'll let you go back to the finger sandwiches, Tigger. Okay. Okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Wasn't that awesome? Okay, let's see. Do we have any other questions in the chat? Because we are at the top of the hour. Somewhere. Somewhere on the planet, we're on the top of the hour. Do you alternate between the two and average down? I have no idea what we're going to do yet, evils. Um, there you go. And yes, and just to remind you, uh, it, it's on it's on our uh, sticker board here. We do this not because it is easy, but because we thought it was easy. And Unix just posted a picture of purple rain. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it was. So I have this fan in the shop to recirculate the air, and I actually I'm always thinking about the the thermal thing that we've always talked about. Uh, AB shop says, thanks for the answer. You're welcome. Uh, that was like probably more than you asked about. CJ Stevens says he's heading up to raid the kids craft box. <laughs> Remember only Sharpie brand purple is acceptable in the precision shop. Uh, Robert Simpson says Tom Lipton showed the difference Sharpie in Sharpie color thicknesses. Yes. I remember that video. We have to go back to it. Um, yes. Uh, flat lapper, uh, see if you can join us in the after party. I'll tell you more. Um, anyway, guys, you, you're all awesome. Thanks for being here. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm literally heading back to the shop, uh, cause I have to finish up, uh, eight inch stones and get them out the door. And I'm looking forward to, uh, going out and buying a bunch of purple Sharpies this afternoon. I, I trust you will also. So uh, from Southern New Hampshire, thanks for being here. We we'll look forward to talking to you guys next week. We will be in the uh, the after party uh, channel. It's called the After Party Roundtable on our Discord server. Right after we get out of here, uh, if you're not subscribed, and I know half of you are not, I'm looking at you. You know who I'm talking about. Why don't you subscribe to the channel, and you'll get notifications of uh, these videos and the little the new ones called. Uh, uh, quick chips on the YouTube channel and, uh, you know, like, and subscribe and, you know, we'll do all those nice things. Get flat, stay flat, and we'll see you guys next week.